You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. It blows my mind. Cover the back 10. You know, make sure you have the goal line covered and worry about the back part of the end zone, the the rest of the end zone, if the ball goes up in the air. I I, I was, I I, I could believe him being stunned. He'd have to think, this isn't right. I'm going to hook up here in the end zone and there's nobody near me. I, I... I still, I just watched that replay and can't believe what I saw. Cannot believe what I saw. And you saw Danzler and they, got, they just kind of looked at each other like, wow. <laughs> Almost like they can't believe it happened either. That was stunning, stunningly bad defense. Mike Golick back just delivering takes on pro football talk. It's great to see him back. It is. It is. He's great. So what's he doing? So he's doing like... Some sort of, I think he's doing like some radio color commentary for some football games. I, I miss yeah, Golik, I so. man. Twenty years of Golik takes. Yeah, um, that was stunningly bad defense at the end of that game against the Lions. The defense was so bad. We are officially going to go there today on Mackie and Judd Daily Minnesota Sports Entertainment Therapy and Coaching Searches. <laughs> Unless you guys disagree, I think we should start the show today. With an article from SportsIllustrated.com, SI.com, offensive-minded head coach candidates. And this isn't specifically tailored to the Vikings, but I have sort of taken the ones. This 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 article has all head coaching candidates. I have stripped out the offensive-minded ones, and I will deliver them to you guys. You good? Okay. You guys good with this? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I just want to make sure that we're all sort of turning the page oh, here on the Mike Zimmer have. era. Why shouldn't we? Seriously. Well, they haven't yet. Well, no. How but do you they're know looking they at, they're, they're looking at the set. I told you are last you reporting? week. They are reporting? They are. I told you guys this last week. This is not new news. Now, I said that they are doing. Uh, I've heard they're quietly doing due diligence on coaching and GM candidates. So this is what we're doing. Like, just because it's this is going to be on our podcast and it's public, this is still a quiet, like, look. Like, you're not. You're going to give us six names. Yes. So this is the same thing. Let's do this. So like, Actually, I, I lied. It's seven names. Oh, my God. It's seven okay, offensive-minded head coach candidates for us to choose. You're vetting the process, Phil Mackey. You're, you're, you're vetting. So let's. Uh, I'm going to throw these names out, and I'm going to read you a couple of excerpts from the article, too. And let's, let's just score all of these one to ten, like a ten being... A ten being uh, like Bill Belichick. If Bill Belichick is about to be the head coach of your football team, excited, and a one being like, um, like, like they're bringing Leslie Frazier back or something. I don't know, just for whatever. They're bringing uh, Brad Brad Childress back. You're just not very excited. Although I think Brad Childress gets a bad rap, but that's fine. So you'll you'll give me a one to ten number on this one first. Forty one year old. Nathaniel Hackett, the Packers offensive coordinator. Before you give me your number, here's the write-up. Hackett has a trajectory that includes massive offensive turnarounds at nearly every stop, 
At Syracuse, he turned a downtrodden program's offense into one of the nation's leaders and established quarterback Ryan Nassib as a draft prospect. In Buffalo, he helped turn a sub-500 team into a 9-7 and outfit with a respectable offense. And in Jacksonville, he designed an offense for Blake Bortles that finished 5th in points per game and 6th in yards. And none of this even counts the work that he's done in Green Bay, which is combining his expertise in both outside zone and his roots in the West Coast offense with Aaron Rodgers and getting that thing to click. So, Nathaniel Hackett, what's your 1-10 through 10 score? Of, of like, oh, that kind of excites me. First off, probably important to point out that he does not call plays in Green Bay, okay. but what you read is impressive. So so he's not currently calling plays, but clearly has experience, and it's not like he has um, spent his whole career being on the coattails of other people. My number on Nathaniel Hackett is a is a five to start with. Um, <clears throat> I think the Wolves would be about a seven or so. Um, I think the Packers' success intrigues them. I think that they are always trying to look for like the secret sauce of of the teams that the Vikings compete against. Yeah, uh, I think in their mind, h- hiring Hackett away from the Packers would hurt the Packers. So I, I'm going to go five, but I think that that's a name that you should probably keep an eye on as far as being a real candidate here. To me, it's a three. Uh, I, I'm not really too impressed of what you did with Blake Bortles. I like I understand why that could be impressive, given that he's a mostly pretty bad quarterback, and you milked a lot out of that cow. But I I don't really get too excited about it. I can be convinced. Judd brings up a good point that they the Wills sometimes to be seem to be obsessed with their competition and how they're performing and what they're doing. So I could be maybe talked into it, and I wouldn't be like upset if there's an interview there. But he doesn't do anything to me that jumps off the page. Yeah, I'm like a five. Like a five, it's really hard when you're hiring someone who is so closely associated with Aaron Rodgers or other great quarterbacks. You know that's how Adam Gase gets a head coaching job because he look look at those Broncos offenses with Peyton Manning. It's like, well, I mean Judd Judd could have been the offensive coordinator. Here, Peyton, here's a Gatorade. Are you, yeah, you but it would have bothered me because the balls. Fl- I would have been Peyton. Put some damn zip on that ball or retire. Get out of the game. Um, and, and didn't the Gi- so the Giants head coach who looked like a gym teacher had been the Packers quarterbacks coach, right? Looked Joe, like it's the uh, same. Not, uh, Joe Philbin. Joe Philbin. Is that who you're no, talking no. about? No, no. Yeah, him him too. But the he guy also no, looks the like a gym teacher. Like a, the, the guy that, the guy that coached the, Gi- the guy that coached the Giants, I can't remember his name, but he looked like a gym teacher. Yeah, the must, mustache was, guy. Yeah, so I think he was the quarterbacks coach in Green Bay, and it was the same sort, sort of thing where, oh, my God, he must know a lot. And then he started like, yeah, not really. Yeah. So that's so, like a five. All right. Candidate number two, 46-year-old Brian Dable, offensive coordinator, Buffalo Bills. So he comes from the Bill Belichick and Nick Saban coaching trees. The Belichick coaching tree was a disaster for a long time. It's getting better now. It's getting better. Uh, Dable continues to cement his status as an offensive mastermind capable of creating mismatches anywhere on the field. His role in the development of Josh Allen has been overlooked, although the football world got a small taste of his quarterback acumen after watching Mitch Trubisky carve up his former team in the preseason once. Uh, He has an eye for matchups that can transcend scheme, which is a gift few offensive coaches possess. Oh, God. He seems to, I mean, he's done a really good job. The tree he comes uh, from really scares me because it has so many colossal flops. 
And the other problem is, and th- this is going to be a problem with most of the names that you read, we don't know a lot about them as people. So, like, can they lead? Can they? That's the hardest part. Yeah. Because it's because it's not like, well, he's an offensive genius, so he's going like. Part of the problem with Mike is Mike. Mike sees himself as so one dimensional that that you don't have a guy who you feel can lift up the entire room, which is incredibly important. Uh, I'm going to put this at a six. I think it's higher than Hackett, but there are red flags here that that I would need to know a lot more about him as about Dable as a person. So I'm going to say a six because he has done some impressive things. It's a five for me. I fired his ass on Purple Daily already this year. So I I, I have trepidations just automatically making him the Vikings head coach. And something's getting stale in Buffalo. I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know if that's other teams scheming differently. But that offensive shine with Josh Allen has started to wear off a little bit and doesn't look as dangerous as it did at the beginning of 2020. Even for the first five games of 2021, teams are starting to figure them out a little bit. And I don't know if Dable has the adjustments to all of a sudden click it back and make it worthwhile. Buffalo could go on a run here in the next month of the season before it ends and, and figure things out and make get hot in the playoffs. To me, it's a five. Worth an interview for sure. It, like w- Definitely worth over Hackett. But I don't know if I'm all in on him. It's like a six for me. I I think for Buffalo's purposes, to your point, it, it feels a little stale. It feels a little finesse. You know, they don't run the ball all that well. They love to throw. It feels like if Buffalo were a dome team, an indoor track meet team, this is one thing, sort of a side street here. If the Vikings had decided to build an outdoor stadium a few years ago and fully embrace the elements and the wind and the cold, the conditions, and say, you know what, we're going to build our football team for November, December. We're going to run the ball, play defense, play Mike Zimmer football. And that's going to be the identity of our franchise. The Pittsburgh Steelers run first. They got away from that for a couple of years, but we're going to run the ball, play defense. I would say, awesome, cool. Like maybe even get a defensive minded coach to do that. But it's almost like the Vikings have gotten away from what really makes them tick the most the last 30 years, which is offense. The best Viking seasons have been offensive-driven track meet teams, right? 1998 through 2000. They go to two NFC Championship games. In your lifetime, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah I'm, right. but, but in the 70s, they played outside in the elements. Since right. they came inside, and they're still inside for another 20 or 30 years, mm-hmm. I think a guy like Brian, da- uh, is it Dable or Dabble? Dable. I thought it was Dable. Dable. I thought it was Dable. Brian Dable. I, I thought it was Brian Dable. Yeah, I thought awesome. it was Brian Dable. Brian Dable. Brian Dable. That's what I thought. I mean, we could be wrong, but, you know, Bills fans, you can correct us. We're going to go Dable. Um, I love that. I think if he were to bring his aerial attack, sort of that track meet, fun ball style to U.S. Bank Stadium, it would be a blast. And so I'm actually talking myself into like a higher score. I'll, I'll just I'll keep it at a six, though. All right. 52-year-old Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator, Kansas City Chiefs, and also former... Vikings running backs coach for Adrian Peterson about 14 years ago. I've been pretty high on him consistently for the last few years. And and the chiefs are sort of weird now. Like their, their defense now has, has gone from being terrible early in the season to being good. Their offense isn't what it once was, but that's really not shocking because eventually they were going to be slowed down and Tampa Bay probably gave teams sort of a blueprint. Uh, but I'm going to put the enemy at, I'm going to put the enemy at a six too. Um, I can't go. I can't go super high there. Um, 
think he deserves a chance. I guess my I guess my concern is not does he know not would would he be good offensively. I guess my concern is uh, the staff that he would surround himself with. But I think he would do a good job. I'll I'll say this: unless he's changed, the man is wired tight. Like he's gonna he's an intense dude. Uh, but I'll but I'll go a six, bordering on a seven. He intrigues me. I say now he roams the sidelines, right? He's not a. I think nope. he, I think he's yes. he's on the yes. sidelines. Right? So I did yes. see okay. him and him and Mahomes were barking at each. And this is the he's type super, of coach he is. Like super high strong. He'd get into Peterson. He was getting well, into Peterson Mahomes. Stand him. By the end, he and Peterson had throwdowns. Do you think? Great. And let me read the write up here. So it all seems to be in the eye of the beholder as to why Bieniemy is not an NFL head coach right now. It's not responsible to sit here and disseminate anonymous tidbits about certain interviews that may have gone one way or another and why that justifies an owner's decision. But the reality is, at some point, some team will give Biennemi a chance. He is, at the moment, the face of the NFL's racial hiring disparity. Every time a report emerges about why he may not be a head coach, there are white coaches who seem to get jobs in spite of those same perceived drawbacks, which is a very fair point. Um I wonder because he he is he is very much like, like like I told you I was watching part of that Chiefs game over the weekend and he was barking at Mahomes and Mahomes is snapping back and him and Peterson would get into each other's he doesn't care if you're Pat Mahomes or a backup fullback like he'll get into someone correct and so I do wonder is there an abrasive quality to his personality that works better as a position coach or a coordinator but might not be shelf life guy as a coach. Now I'm just speculating because it is interesting. Why doesn't he have a job yet? I mean, he's been out there for like three years. And this is so difficult because that's a legit concern. Like you can't, you can't ride players constantly now. Like, you you know, in 1976, you you certainly could. You can't do that now. I think you get the most from them. Uh, But the, but the, how does a guy interview talker bothers me? Cause like that, that's what held Zimmer back because he was abrasive and told the truth, which is what you really should want. And, and like, I've never been convinced that these billionaire owners like can identify what football players are going to want, right? Like, oh, he, you know, I, he didn't come off. Po- I mean, what's polished? Like, okay, so you're super polished, but but that could mean that you're just a fraud. Um, I mean, Bill Belichick's so always, not very polished, <laughs> right? But but like I've always struggled with this thing. Well, seven teams said he was too abrasive. Yeah, but are those the people that I want telling me what's what? So so like I do think it's important that you think the guy can coexist with his players. That's super important. Yeah. But this whole thing of are billionaires impressed enough? Is he polished enough? Uh, I do think this on the Wilfs. I do think. They are going to want a coach, unfortunately, I guess in some ways, who is more polished because I think the way that Mike treats the media rubs the Wilfs the wrong way. I'm not saying that's a right perception to take. I'm saying I've heard that they are somewhat embarrassed sometimes because Mike can get so petulant. Yeah. So you're a six. Definitely. Yep. What about you? The enemy's a seven. Like he, he's got the resume, he's familiar with the organization. The reason I have trepidations is not because he hasn't had the opportunities necessarily. It's because the dude loves to establish the run. Like, he's a running backs coach. He's, he's going to want to come here, come in here and say, Dalvin Cook is going to be our offense. And it's important to acknowledge that Dalvin Cook exists. There's no doubt about that. He's a special, talented player. I worry that the Vikings are going to still be stuck in an old-school mindset with him at head coach. 
That's my kind of fear of it. I could be talked into it because he's he's dealt with Patrick Mahomes, and that Chiefs offense is obviously a pass-first offense, so I don't think it's like he's completely against not throwing the football. I just have maybe a little bit too con- too much concerns about him being a running backs coach for basically his entire tenure uh, in the NFL and in college that he's going to want to just come in here and establish the run and keep it old school. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm like a five. I, def- I definitely wouldn't hate the hire. I just, I guess I just wonder why hasn't he been an ironclad, like obvious head coach yet? And I, I understand that in a lot of cases it's white owners and white GMs that are, and it's, it's sort of unconscious bias. Like sometimes you, you just, you hire people that look and act like you. And there is that issue in the NFL. Um, but I think yeah, I think we've covered Eric Bien. I mean, I mean well, he just we'll see. And Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes are what drives the Chiefs. How much of a role does Bienemy play? Maybe we'll find out at some point. All right, we've got the rest of this list here, but you know who isn't a fraud? Federated Insurance. All right, <laughs> Federated's been around for over a hundred years. They're ba- you should hire them right away. All right, <laughs> to protect your business, risk management, all kinds of great resources and people to help navigate your business. And make sure that you've got plans and structure in place for if bad things happen. So find out more at federatedinsurance.com. And remember, at Federated, it's our business to protect yours. Also, we are giving away winter classic tickets. The Wild (laughs) and the Blues are playing outdoors at Target Field on January 1st. And if you want, you can enter each of these five days this week. Score North app. Listener rewards. And the code word is classic today. So just enter the code word classic on the Score North app, and you can be entered to win a pair of winter classic tickets. And awesome. Judd, you are not eligible. We're sorry. Are you sure? Yes. Yes, very sure. Very sure. Have you checked all the rules? Yes, legal yes, said so. Four times. Five. If you'd like to go to spirit well, legal, by get, all means, I would, I would I can actually always pay. Get, I can always get, okay. I can get around that. <laughs> okay. Legal. Legal. All right, let's keep going on this list here. Offensive-minded head coach candidates. We're just, we are there. Let's just do it. All right, 33-year-old Kellen Moore, offensive coordinator, Dallas Cowboys. Because of Dak, this is the write-up, because of Dak Prescott's injury last year, some of Moore's forward momentum stalled, though not enough to stop him from interviewing with the Eagles last year. The 33-year-old former Boise State quarterback will be a head coach at some point, it might depend on how the Cowboys finish the season. A young coach recently removed from the game who can handle the rigors of a star quarterback and design a top-flight offense checks a lot of boxes. What's your score again, there, Judd? How interesting. Again a, ton, again, a ton of unknowns because of the age and the resume, which is which is impressive, but it doesn't it doesn't have um, some of the boxes that you'd like to see checked necessarily. So I'm going to give him a seven. I, I'm going to say that I, he's with a, a franchise that certainly has had its ups and downs. Um, he's done a very good job. I'd be curious to know the involvement of his play calling completely because he he works for a guy who called plays in Green Bay, and Mike, you know, Mike is is an offensive first guy himself. Uh, I'm going to give him a seven. That's fair. I mean, Declan is probably a ten and a half. Yeah, it's an eleven. Um, no, actually, it's a nine. It's a nine wow. for the simple fact that because he doesn't have a ton of 
NFL experience, but he's young, and this dude is a genius. In high school, he was designing and running his own plays as a starting quarterback in high school. What what kind of high school quarterback gives their 17-year-old the privileges and the ability to run their own plays? He goes to Boise State. He's an absolute stud there, and he's been phenomenal with the Dallas Cowboys. I, I think he, maybe I'm drinking too much of that like young Sean McVay, Cliff Kingsbury Kool-Aid here a bit, but I think this is the perfect candidate. I think he can he can come in here and establish a modern NFL offense with this team. And to me, he's my priority number one. I, I, I can be talked in other interviews, but I think he's the guy I'm targeting the most this offseason. I, I feel like we're getting a little too like, well, he's a 33-year-old offensive guy, so therefore he must be Sean McVay. Like we try to do this with everyone who's like in mm-hmm. their early to mid-30s and they're offensive right. guys. And, and so they must be Sean McVay and, or Matt LaFleur or whatever. Um, I'm like a seven. I'm not quite where Declan is, but I'm very interested. I, I do love the idea of a quarterback mind coming in, understanding how to get the most out of Kirk Cousins, if Kirk Cousins is still here, or whoever the Vikings may draft. You know, the fact that he has helped mold Dak Prescott into a really good franchise quarterback is appealing. Again, there's a big difference, though, between molding a quarterback and working as a position coach and an offensive coordinator and being a mastermind and leading a locker room of men and coaches, right? And all the media and things that goes like there's such a Judd said it earlier. There's such a leadership thing here that we don't know about almost all these guys. And really like no one knows until you put them in that role. Do they rise up and become charismatic enough? And you know, can they, can they navigate, relationships and things like that. So I'm like a seven. So, so far uh, in terms of composite score here, our level of interest, we are the most interested in Kellen Moore collectively, but let's get to this one. 41 year old Byron Leftwich, offensive coordinator, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Here's the SI.com write up. Leftwich was a bit of a forgotten part of Tampa Bay's Super Bowl run last year with many people incorrectly assigning all the credit to Tom Brady and quarterback whisperer, Bruce Arians. The story of that season, though, came down to someone's ability to combine what Brady was comfortable with with what Arians was comfortable with and what the league's defenses were susceptible to and molding it all together. And uh, And I've even heard a couple interviews where Bruce Arians has said, I don't really do anything. I don't even go to the offensive meetings. Byron runs everything offensively. Um, and, and Arians has been livid that Leftwich didn't receive any head coaching interviews last year. And he's made it clear that uh, Leftwich would be a great option as a head coach. So he's got the backing of Arians. Again, he's Tom Brady's offensive coordinator, and so it's like, how much credit do you give him? So, Judd, what's your level of interest? I've been pretty boring so far, so I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to turn the dial up a little bit here. I'm going to give him an eight, and here's why. Ooh. I'm going to give him an eight, and here's why. First of all, uh, Leftwich himself played quarterback in this league. Uh, do you guys remember? And, and look, I mean, this is just completely spitballing. But as far as getting people to uh, play for you and rallying people together, the famous shot of when Le- Leftwich was at Marshall, and I think he broke his leg or something ha- happened, and he wouldn't leave the field, and he and the offensive line carried him to the next play. Yeah. And and so I'm going to tie that together with the Brady effect by association. So so like if he is if he is 
as smart as he seems to, to be as well. And he's soaking up things, right? And he's learning things. And he's got that intangible where he wasn't a great player himself, uh, but he, he was good enough to play in the league. Um, and he's working with really smart people. Like, I think part, so the incredible thing is this. I think part of the Belichick trees failure is is he has, and it works great as assistant coaches, robots. Like, I think McDaniels yeah. is a offensive genius, but I think he's got less people skills than Stella. Um, um, Matt Patricia. Can't wait to see is, Steve Belichick's people skills as a head coach. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, that's exactly it. Um, but, you know, Patricia, right? Patricia is, is a genius. He's got, like, an MIT degree, but he has no people skills. Leftwich to me seems to be like a guy who probably has people skills, can lead, know what it takes to lead, and is soaking up things and is doing a good job. I'm very curious. He I can, intrigues me. Yeah, I'm, I'm at about a seven with him too. Um, it's honestly, it's different from Kellen Moore from the fact that like Byron Leftwich was actually a, a semi-decent NFL quarterback. You know, Kellen Moore was clearly going to be a backup guy, even though he had a prolific career at Boise. Um, but but Leftwich was a first round pick, a top ten pick. And then was also with the Arizona Cardinals as a, as a head as an offensive coordinator and an interim status. I think he's definitely got some offensive principles that would apply. Um, I think he might have to wow in an interview to get the job, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does wow. Like I I, I wouldn't yep. be surprised at, at all if, if he was able to wow the Wilfs or Spielman or whoever conducted the interview process. As this is our guy, I can be talked into him being the next head coach of the Vikings definitely. And don't don't forget Tomlin because that's exactly what Mike did too. Be, because that that entire thing was well, we gotta we've gotta s- satisfy this rule, and then Tomlin shows up and blows their socks off. It's funny you bring up Tomlin. So I'm I'm an eight here. I'm an eight here. I thought I was going to be a lone wolf, and you guys are almost as optimistic as I am. I love it when guys when when head coaching candidates are around a lot of smart, great people. Now, it doesn't mean that they are destined to be smart, great people, too, but at least they have an ability to soak things in. And uh, as a quarterback, as a backup, Byron Leftwich spent three years with the Steelers mm-hmm. under Mike Tomlin. And I, I think Mike Tomlin is one of the five best coaches of the last 25 years. He's just, he's adaptable. Uh, he's never finished below 500, I don't think. Unless last year, did they win seven games last year? But like no, they fifteen would. years, nope. he's never had a train wreck season. Yeah, basically, eleven and zero last year. So he so Leftwich has been able to work with Arians, with Tomlin, with Brady. He sees and knows what championship football looks like. He sees and knows himself and through Tom Brady what great leadership looks like at the quarterback position. And I think he'd be able to get more out of Cousins. I think he'd be able to get something out of a young quarterback. Again. There's a bust percentage with all these guys, but there's a lot to like about Byron Leftwich, even though his his like hockey stick growth as a head coaching candidate has been because he's associated with Tom Brady and a Super Bowl that Tom Brady helped sure. win. So, mm-hmm. but I I'm really interested. Forty uh, five year old Josh McDaniels, offensive coordinator at New England Patriots. Uh, here's the sense of what's going on with McDaniels, according to SI.com. Like a former vice president mulling a run for office. He has an idea of what the entire operation would look like if he chose to go all in. And then he can hire all of his assistants and back out like he did with the Colts. So, Josh McDaniels. You know, his go-around in Denver, which is now quite some time ago, 
was a disaster because he had no people skills. He loved Tebow, which is still odd to like. I I I, I never got that. I never got that one. Super weird. Um, I didn't think that the the college talents were trans translatable to the National Football League. But the thing with the Colts brings me down to like a three. Um, when you take a job and you hire and you start to hire your assistants and then back out. That's to me a red flag because, like, that's a personality thing. Like, there's something weird there. Like, like that wasn't a the Colts rescinded their offer or or uh, changed things drastically. Because that's fine then if you decide that you don't want the offer. I'm going down to a three though. I, I, that really, really would concern me. And I don't, I don't know that this is a case of McDaniel's maturing from his time in Denver since he decided to back out of the Colts thing. Um, I'm highly doubt his people skills qualify him to be a head coach. So I'm pretty much out three. Yeah. It's a one for me. I, I really don't want anything to do with this guy. Uh, what he did with the Colts, I thought was extremely immature. I thought his tenure and time in Denver was also a disaster. Um, there's a reason why a lot of these guys end up going back to Bill Belichick and, and yes, Bill Belichick is an, the, maybe the best coach of all time of any sport that's ever been played. But a lot of these guys go back to Bill because it's comfortable and Bill knows what he gets out of them. And then once they leave Bill, things go completely awry. And for him to spur the Colts like that, I want nothing to do with that kind of guy with the Vikings. So to me, I'm, I'm, I don't even want to interview him, to be honest. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so hard because I kind of feel like he could be what Bill Belichick was to Bill Parcells, which is like a loyalist who stayed, maybe even turned down some opportunities to stay as a coordinator. Um, I'm higher than you guys. I'm like a six with McDaniel's, but I understand. Wow. I understand that he might be a sociopath who's just yeah. meant to work for Bill Belichick for <laughs> the rest of his life. Right. So I'm like a six. All right, and the final one here: offensive-minded head coaching candidates for the Vikings. Fifty-three-year-old Doug Peterson. Now, this wasn't part of the SI.com article because this was more about coordinators. But he's taking a gap year. He got fired from Philadelphia last year. Two division titles in five years with Philadelphia. A Super Bowl win over the Patriots. He helped develop Carson Wentz into an MVP candidate before the injury. And he helped turn Nick Foles into a Super Bowl MVP. Now, he wasn't alone. He had a great coaching staff. Things blew up on him. But what's your level of interest in Doug Peterson? There's some intrigue here, but there's also some problems. My level on Doug Peterson is a five. It's not that high. Um, I love what he did with Carson Wentz initially, but that went sideways, and and he didn't seem to have a response. Um, the fact that he seemed to lose the locker room so quickly after a championship was intriguing, and I don't know know why. Uh, personnel-wise, which he would definitely have a say of some sort. Uh, you know, he, he wouldn't be the GM, but he would have a say of some sort also concerns me because he is one of the reasons that that the Eagles passed on Jefferson. Yeah, they drafted a, Jalen Rager in the spot yeah. right before Jefferson. I mean, and that's, that's not a small miss. That's an enormous miss. Um, and if he sees talent like that, I guess my question is just the full scope. How, how do you judge things? Because that's a, like Justin Jefferson's right there. Just take him. And you're like, ah, this guy's better. And I don't like that. 
Uh, yeah, I'll go a five. Uh, this this one, I would definitely talk to him. This one though doesn't like push me towards. Yeah, I think that this guy's going to come back and pop again. To me, it's a seven. Um, I, I'm definitely bringing in this dude for an interview. He took Nick Foles to the Super Bowl. I'm not a big Carson Wentz guy in general. Um, I, I think he's kind of seems like a difficult dude to work with, to be completely honest, just judging by how he carries himself. But I think Doug Peterson has surrounded himself with Andy Reid. He was the OC with them in Kansas City as well. The dude definitely knows offense, and Philadelphia is a tough place to coach. Um, so I'm definitely bringing him in for an interview. And in terms of experience-wise, of all these guys, I think he has the most credibility by far. I mean, yeah, he has a Super yeah. Bowl to his to his to his name, but he he would probably be if you listed all these guys, which one has the best chance to be the next Vikings head coach of all these candidates? Phil just laid out. He's number one. He's number one. Here's the thing. Nothing Judd said is wrong because all of those things happened or are questions. Like the, he did, he did train wreck at the end. His relationship with Carson Wentz went awry, and he was part of the the decision makers that saw Jalen Rager a notch or two above Justin Jefferson. But all of those things happened after he won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So. If he can come in, if he's let's say he's a short shelf life guy, I don't care. If you can bring the Vikings to a Super Bowl in the first three or four years and then light the bridge on fire, cool. <laughs> I'm here for it. So I'm an eight on Doug Peterson. So we're kind of all over the Declan and I are high on Doug Peterson. Notice how no, none of us really Declan had a nine on Kellen Moore. None of us were a ten. None of us were like a zero or a one because it's hard to tell. Like you're, it's a gamble. Oh, yeah. There are no sure things. The sure things, yes, are Sean Payton, Bill Belichick, Mike Tomlin, and I guess if by some unforeseen circumstance there's a falling out with one of those top guys, like but but you're you know you're rolling the dice. So the in the end, the ones that we are collectively the most interested in, it's a tie between Byron Leftwich and Kellen Moore. And then uh, Doug Peterson is third, and Eric Bieniemy is fourth. That's the that's the consensus here on Mackie and Judd for offensive minded head coach candidates. That's probably fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's and and I, I guess part of the question too will be if they change GMs, what direction do they go there, and and then who does that person know, right? Because that, if, if you do, and, and I think that you should, if you blow the entire thing up, um, you're going to have the question of you're, you're almost certainly still going to go with an with an offensive minded coach. But who does the new GM know, and d- does he have you know biases or a list? And it's hard to, to say. But I mean, I think more and more in this discussion, this is why it's time to, to just hit the reset button completely. Yeah. Yep. So. Oh, I'm sure that won't be the last time we bring a similar list to the table here. We're going to have a GM list at some point. Oh, hopefully. Yes, we will. To talk about. Absolutely. We're gonna, we will. I mean, <laughs> come on, baby. So, all right. Every Tuesday, we also go through our list of who gets it and who doesn't across the Minnesota sports landscape and beyond. So, boys, let's, uh, let's actually start with Declan here. Who gets it and who doesn't? I will say, start with this guy because he's been uh, just an absolute godsend for this franchise and been an absolute tear for the last about two weeks here. Kirill Kaprizov. Kirill Kaprizov absolutely gets it. After a slow start, he has 18 points in his last nine games. Six goals and 12 assists. 
He's shooting the puck a ton, 3.5 shots per game, so he's shooting it at absolute will. His Corsi 4 percentage of 60% is absurd. That that basically means when Kirill is on the ice, him and his teammates are out shooting it they're they're out shooting the other team 60 to 40 basically. So they are they're generating more shots towards the net than they're allowing and he's made Ryan Hartman look like a legitimate top 6 forward. I think last year our Judd and I's kind of assessment of Ryan Hartman was oh it's just nice to be here but he's benefiting from playing with Kirill and, and that still is in play there's no doubt. But Ryan Hartman was a former first round pick and scored 18 goals once upon a time with Patrick Kane and the Chicago Blackhawks. And now all of a sudden, Ryan Hartman doesn't just look like a nice bottom six grinder forward. He's definitely a nice role player, but he's elevated Ryan Hartman's game as well. Uh, so Kirill Zanin, who's on an absolute tear after that slow start, is now delivering. He did that last year, too. And then this fun note that I love, I, I, found this, I find this on Wild Reddit all the time. They update Kirill Kaprizov's career point total with the Minnesota Wild and players that he's already passed in a short amount of time. So Kirill is already 45th all-time in franchise history in points and has passed this week. They do this once a week. Alexander Daig, Owen Nolan, <laughs> Curtis Foster, and Richard Park on the team's oh, all-time point list. He's already passed. He's already, already in the top 50 of the most prolific points, uh, point scores in off- and for offensive players on the Minnesota Wilds franchise history. So Kirill the Thrill, <laughs> Dalla Dalla Bill, however you want to call him, Kirill Kaprizov gets it. I love it, Richard. Par- Although Richard Park still has one of the most memorable goals yes. in franchise history. So game six, yeah, take that avalanche. Yeah. So do you guys? I mean, has he? Because the beginning of the season was kind of a disaster. Do do we think he's sort of beyond all the contract BS? And has he has he fully found his game yet? Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and the the beginning of the season was was not like for most people was okay. But for him, your expectations are raised uh, so high, and they should be. So, like, now it's like, okay, this is what we expect. I mean, he is a dominant player. He's not a good player. He's not a streaky player. He is a dominant player. He is, when when he uh, sets foot on the ice for most shifts, he is the best player out there. And so, like, this is not a a... Minnesota, you know, he's our guy. We like him. He's a good player. Let's, you know, go Cal Clutterbuck. Hit hit somebody. This is a dominant NHL player who can be in the running for things like scoring titles, MVP. So yes, I think we are now we are now seeing what we deserve, which is he's going to beat you. He's just going to beat you. His now. shootout, his shootout goal Dude. the other night was one of the most effortlessly but coolest thing i jumped Dude, out of my seat when i did saw you it. even see him like flick his wrist like no. it was he skated Bye. in and then it's like boom top shelf nuts you know what it is magic it's, it's it it's crazy but it's the rule of he makes something hard look so simple it looks simple like oh yeah that yeah that that moves easy like you couldn't nine out of ten guys got no chance right Dude, he just like, like he, yeah, he barely even he moved his hands and just like boom the the goalie had no idea uh, and then, of course, like they broke, so they broke it down on the replay, and it was like, yeah, well, he waits for the goalie to kind of, you know, slide down. It's like there's no, there's not even an opening. Like, yeah, it's like there's like a inch and a half, you know, and he puts it right in that. It's slot. Probably like two percent of the players in the NHL that can pull off a goal like that. <laughs> it's Literally. ridiculous. He just skates back all casually. Yeah. All right, Judd, who gets it? Who doesn't? 
Who doesn't get it? The Philadelphia Flyers. And now you're saying, why are you picking on the Flyers, Judd? Well, that's this. because yesterday, yesterday, Chuck Fletcher, sound familiar, GM of the Flyers, uh, f- fired his his coach, Elaine Vigneault, and Elaine Vigneault's handpicked assistant and promoted the assistant that Chuck hired a few years back in Philadelphia. Yes, one Mike Yo. So Mike Yo and Chuck Fletcher are now coaching a Fletcher design team that hold on a second I'll speak slowly cuz it's going to ring some bells that quit on its previous coach that looks like a bunch of dogs that is actually has talent but unfortunately is a bunch of dogs um and and Chuck Chuck has basically done the wild 2.0 on the east coast and here's the last part and my favorite part Elaine Vigno was fired after the Flyers had lost eight consecutive games. Chuck's done this before. Do you remember the last coach he fired after his team lost eight consecutive games? Mike Yo, you had a beer with him. Mike. They cried. Yep. Yep. The 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 Valentine's Day massacre at the X when Mike Yo was fired after the Wild lost an afternoon game to the Bruins, their eighth consecutive loss. How many more times do we need to go through this with these two? I love it. Like these two dysfunctional, they're taking their act from coast to coast and terrorizing <laughs> hockey fans. Make it stop somebody. Just like Mackie and Judd are taking their act from failed radio hosts right. to podcast and YouTube. That's nothing to brag about. Nemo. <laughs> uh, all right, so this is actually, I'm going to piggyback off Judd here because I'm going to give you a who gets it. And I think we were reminded everything that Judd just said about Chuck Fletcher and Mike Yo, everything we're seeing with the mediocre Vikings shrinking against the winless Detroit Lions, yes. fans and media and and even some of the coaches like just trying to justify and rationalize. Like, well, I mean, I heard that there was a radio host literally going through the schedule today. Well, like, here's how they can win the rest of their games. It's like this, like, unrealistic world that we're living in with these teams. Who gets it? Billy Guerin. Listen, you guys know what this is all about, right? Right? What's it all about? Spurgy? That. This is about winning. Dude, like, I keep thinking about that little clip from whatever that meeting was before the season. Bill Guerin knows what a championship room looks like. He knows what a championship looks like in the NHL. He has a vision. He had to communicate that vision to the owner and make tough decisions about Freezy and Suter and Koivu and all these guys. But And we'll see. Like, There's a lot of season to be played here. I don't want to crown the wild too early. It is Minnesota sports. But I love that he has a championship vision. He is executing it piece by piece, and he's watching it have some success here in the first two months of the regular season. Again, I don't want to crown them yet, but Billy Guerin, thank you for raising the bar and for setting a championship-level expectation in this town. And you just played a very interesting clip as well as, and this is what I'm talking about with billionaire owners not necessarily knowing what they're doing, okay? Uh, this whole thing of, well, he didn't interview well, or he didn't. I guarantee you that Bill Guerin did. Chuck Fletcher survived so long. Why? Because he tried to make Craig Leopold as happy as possible. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go out and get a center. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do, you know, we got Parisian suits now. We're going to make it work. We're going to make it work. They're terrible in the room. No, we're going to make it work, right? 
Bill Guerin came in and told the guy who owns the team, here's what I'm doing. I mean, clearly. He told, I mean, Ryan Suter and Craig are buddies. And months before he made that move, Phil and Dex, Bill Guerin went to Craig and said, we're buying him out. And then he had to convince him, but he's, but he did it. Think about that. So, so like, I guarantee you behind the scenes, Bill and Craig have probably had some very heated discussions, but Bill gets his way because Bill's the one who knows what he wants. Craig's a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this, this is where Bill's doing something very important to our show, in my opinion. And it's this. So for all of the viewers and listeners who say, oh, Mackie and Judd and Declan, you don't know how to run it. You know, what What do you know? Like, these guys own the team, or they they manage the team, and you guys, you guys. <laughs> okay, Bill Guerin, I am fully willing to nod to and say he knows what he's doing. He knows far more than me, but I can tell he's on the right track, right? But there are there are a lot of times where guys aren't. And we still are, are like, well, they've got the title. They're in control. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't mean they know what they're doing. Look at what Bill Guerin is doing right now. That is the template for saying, okay, I get that. Yeah, he's also Not- showing the importance of, like, managing up. I think, yes. and I'm, I'm actually going to draw a line here. Shockingly, I'm going to make this about Kirk Cousins. I know <laughs> people are like, how, what's the, how is Maggie going to make this about Kirk Cousins? Well, here you go, right here. A lot of people think, well, he just works here. He's just running the plays that are called. He's just running the scheme that's being drawn up. Well, great leaders, the Tom Brady's, etc. I would say the Bill Garens. Bill Garen is a great leader. We'll, again, we'll see how it plays out. The owner has one thought. Owner loves Suter Prezi. Owner has great relationship with Suter Prezi. The owner has a vision for Suter and Prezi. And Bill Garen has to tactfully as a great leader can do, manage up to his boss and say, I see it differently. You hired me for a reason, and it's to tell you that this is what we should do. And then they have some uncomfortable conversations, and out of that comes the right decision for the franchise. And like that's something that lacks with the Vikings. If Kirk Cousins was a better leader and better at managing up with his coach, his coordinator, he wouldn't just be like, well, I just, hey, just feed the play to my helmet. If the if the scheme is a train wreck, if this play is a train wreck, it's not my fault. I just work here, right? And that's the type of stuff that doesn't show up in a box score always. It doesn't show up, you know, when you're going through analytics reports or whatever. That's the type of leadership that these franchises need. And so Billy Garen, again, setting an example for I love that. everyone that's in the so- Twin Cities. Watch exactly them lose right. 10 games in a row here. <laughs> just jinx the hell out of them. Yeah, but I mean, he still has done things that that most people in this town don't have the guts to do, yep. and that's what I like. All right, that's De- what I like is when he takes is when a person takes control and they're right. Declan, who gets it? Who doesn't? Uh, I'll go with the who doesn't get it, and it's Mike Zimmer's Minnesota Vikings defense. Honestly, I can just pivot it. Minnesota, Mike Zimmer's tenure with the Minnesota Vikings it's it's over, man. Like it, to combine a statement with the who doesn't get it. The Vikings currently rank 30th in the NFL in total defense. And I know Daniil Hunter's injury has changed things. That defense was finally trending in a better direction with Daniil back in the lineup before that pectoral injury. Uh, but this team hasn't even found a way to be a passable defense. They continue to be absolute sieves in the final two minutes of a half. Um, they've allowed a league-worse 101 points in the final two minutes of a half. And they're on pace to break the NFL record for 107 points allowed in the final two minutes of a half. The team that set 
That record was the Vikings team last year in 2020. So the Vikings are going to break their own record from a previous year. Um, look, the, the Mike Zimmer's shine has clearly worn off here. This like literally looks like a Leslie Frazier-esque bottom-tier defense now. It's, it's, it's 30th in the league. Um, it, it just, you have to accept that, this, that his tenure and his time and his shine is worn off. And, he, and he's a hell of a good coach, but it, it doesn't get it anymore. You know, he also built his defensive resume and acumen from like 2007 through like the end of his run with the Cowboys. And then he became a coordinator Well, he was with the, the Bengals, like yeah, uh, 2005, six, somewhere in there through like the early 2010s and then kind of, you know, peaked in 2017, right? Think about how much the game has changed even since 2017. Just offensive rules have loosened even more. Quarterbacks have become even more mobile. Offenses are leaning even more aggressively into aerial attacks and just exotic movements offensively before the snap, right? The game is college so different. College team ideas, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, college coaches, Cliff Kingsbury, these guys are coming in from college and yep. and succeeding, the game looks way different than when the Vikings hired when it was the right move and it worked for a while. And and Mike Zimmer came in and sort of disrupted things in the NFC. And, you know, when Cam Newton was an MVP candidate, he's sacking Cam Newton eight times. And I, th- I think he's probably flustered Aaron Rodgers more often than most defensive uh, coordinators or coaches have. But mm-hmm. it's very clear that things have moved a little more quickly than maybe Mike Zimmer has. All right, Judd, who gets it? Who doesn't? All right, I'm going to go back to an oldie but goodie in this town off the Manning cast last night because his appearance was fantastic. And people in this town, I think they don't hate him as much as they used to, but he's certainly not beloved. But Joe Buck gets it. Joe Buck is... He was hilarious. (laughs) He is uh, sarcastic. He can come off as arrogant, but he totally gets the role. Like, it's just, he just gets it. And and when Peyton asked him last night, you know, Joe, in a blowout or a boring game, do you ever wish that you could have a guest on? And he said, the last time that I thought about that was when you were playing Seattle in the Super Bowl, Peyton, was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> and Peyton, Peyton ordinarily has a comeback of some sort. You could tell he's sort of like, oh, man. So Joe Buck gets it. <laughs> I just think, I, I actually think sometimes – his his most unlikable moments because they're structured are in the booth itself. But like when he's on a talk show or last night where where he, he can just hang out, I think he's tremendous. And so I think Joe Buck. It's great. I mean, think about that. Monday Night Football, it's a it's a unique game that's coming down to the wire. And on the alternate broadcast, you have Joe Buck and the Mannings calling it. That is must watch yeah, TV, and- man. And it's, it's Peyton is driving sort of the commentary and Buck is like sprinkling in one-liners as opposed yes. to like Buck being the play-by-play guy. It was amazing. Yes. Yes. And and I think there's a future there of some sort. I really do. Oh, my God. Absolutely. In, in broadcast. But but like a different, like to spin, spin the entire thing on its head, I think that there's a formula there that works that's going to get, get us away from the you're looking live at uh, U.S. Bank Stadium, and I'm going to do play-by-play, and Larry here is going to comment. That's a great slobber-knocker play, Jeff. Yeah. You know, uh, I'll piggyback again. Who gets it, who doesn't? Bill Belichick still very much gets it after 20-plus years in New England. Last night, 50-mile-an-hour wind gusts. <laughs> He's masterfully playing 
the you know the the field position direction battle and milking clock as he needs to. They ran forty nine offensive plays, forty six rushing attempts, and they averaged just under five yards per attempt. I mean, they threw this thing back a hundred years, and the Bills were still unable to stop them from gaining five yards per carry on forty six rushes, and they win the game fourteen to ten. And like I said this with with uh, Roycey today on our other episode. You're the Buffalo Bills, and you spent 20 years getting trampled by Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Finally, Tom Brady leaves, and the Patriots go through a reset, and you take over the division, and now you've got the offensive power, and everyone's in their prime, and it's your division. And then one year later, the Patriots come in and kick your teeth (laughs) through the back of your throat at home. I love it. Sorry, Bills. Mac Jones, 19 yards passing, what, two or three? Two or three, baby. <laughs> two of three. Ratio. And now our and now Zim is like, oh, look at what they did. <laughs> look, the run game. Amazing. All right. Any other final ones here before we get to random season recall? I'm good. No, I'm good. All right. All right. There it is. Who gets it? Who doesn't here on Mackie and Judd? And uh, also every Tuesday, Declan goes back in the archives and tries to pull a fast one on us. Random season recall. He tests our knowledge on random Minnesota sports seasons. What do you got today, Declan? All right, fellas. I got the 2012-2013 Minnesota Timberwolves for a random season recall. Oh, my the look on The look on Phil's face right there was very negative. Yeah, not great. Okay. This might be a, this might be a bloodbath. Um, okay. We'll, we'll start the win total. How many wins? And I'll give you... Um, I'll give you a five, actually. I'll be generous here. Nice. I'll give you a five nice. on either side for the 2012-2013 Minnesota Timberwolves. Okay. So, I'm trying to remember, Judd. There was this was sort of the Ricky Rubio era. I'm just trying to remember. Yeah. I think this was, might have been Rick Adelman. Adelman. I think it was yeah. Rick Adelman. So let's go so, through it here. Yep. What was the year that Ricky tore his ACL? That was the his, his first 2011, season, 12, right? I think. And they came back after that was the season they came back. I want to say after a lockout of some sort, right? It was, I, I felt like that was yep. a shortened season. Yep. So that was 11-12. And then 12, because, okay, they had, one, the reason I'm asking these questions, they had one year under Rick Adelman where Kevin Love was pretty healthy and Rubio was pretty healthy and Peck, and they went like 40-42. and 42. Yep. And they had, I'm pretty sure they had like a top five or six point differential that year, but somehow still finished below 500 because they kept blowing leads because they were weak. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Mentally weak. Yeah, I remember that. Um, so you think that was this season? It might have been. So 11, 10, 11, 11, 12 would have been the... I remember watching Ricky Rubio tear his ACL like in Fort Myers because it was in like March. I remember like specifically Lakers, being in Fort Myers. I was in Fort Myers too. So yes, we were probably watching yes, that game. It? Yep, and it was um, so that that was so that was March of that was twelve, 12 March of twelve. Right? So the next season, what was the year Kevin Love broke his hand doing knuckle push-ups, quote unquote? That's right around this time too. Because then he missed most of the season. That was kind of a disaster. Yeah, that's right around this time. I need to figure out where we are exactly in that. <laughs> I know because <laughs> they either won. Okay, but, they either won forty games, and everyone was pretty healthy, or it was the knuckle push-up season. In which yeah, love no, was right. out, and they and they only won like twenty nine games or something. 
I think it went ACL, knuckle push-ups, and then they finally rebound the next year. Okay. Okay. So, so I'll trust you. It's 12, 13, and 13. Five 14, wins on either 14. side. Okay, I'm going to say 29 wins. 29 wins? I'm going to go knuckle push-up season. Okay. Yeah! Knuckle push-up season, 31 wins. Oh! Knuckle nice. push-up season, 31 nice. wins. Nice. Nice deduction bang. there. Okay. All right, so now we kind of, we're kind of calibrated here. All right. Yep. Uh, a new addition here to random season recall I'm going to do. I'm going to bring some oh. over-unders. I'm going to adopt some purple props here, kind of, okay. to a degree. Over-under... 60 games for Nikolai Pekovic that season. Over or under? Gotta be under, right? Under. Under? under? Universal? Let's go under. Under. 62 for Peck. Oh, my God. 62. Dude. 62. He earned that. Yeah. He earned that contract that year. Okay. <laughs> uh, this was a Brandon Roy season. Over under 15 games for Brandon Roy in his Timberwolves tenure. Oh, man. Okay. I think it's. Are, are I think we being it's, set up again? I, I think. Her? I think it's under. I think it's under. You play like twelve games or something. All right. Under. Mm-hmm. Five games for Brandon Roy okay. that season. Yeah. <laughs> so we got games. set up there. So yeah. so the Pekovic things. Yeah. So you were trying. Okay. Yeah. I, I see what you're you. doing now. I yeah, I see what you. you're doing now. The, I I thought this was a game among friends, but clearly no, no, not at all, not at all. Um, nope, it's not. You might have to dig deep for a little bit for this, but who was the Wolves' starting five on opening night that season? So Rubio's not back because he's tore his ACL in March, so he wouldn't have been back on opening night. Yep. Okay, um, I'm just going to throw some names out. Okay. Ridnauer was on one of these teams, I think. Berea... They have J.J. Barea. Again, I don't know if these guys yeah. are on this team. They, Rick Rick loved Chase Budinger. Was Chase Budinger then at that time? Jeez. He loved him because he, he he could shoot from the corner, that corner offense that... Good that, doppelganger uh, of mine. Edelman. Yeah. Right. yeah, he was. So yeah. Budinger, they had Peck, Love. But again, when did, Lo- when did Love do, quote-unquote... Knuckle push-ups. Knuckle push-ups. When did Love punch around... his manager in the face and break his hand, and then they tried to cover it up? That was training camp, right? It was before. Was it before the season? Thought it was. I, I might not be right there, but I thought I I thought it was early. So um, if no Love, no Rubio, can we start yeah, just so... picking some names off here? So Peck Pekovic. That's one. I kind of think. I, I, God, did they start Baran? Who are the other guards? Ridnauer? Well, Brent, did did Brandon Roy start opening night? Oh. If he was ever going to be healthy, he would have been healthy on opening night. <laughs> and then, Five and, games. And then gone south from there. But I'm not. Th- this is all and like I didn't. Kevin Martin was. So there's other. Like I Kevin Martin, shot. I think, was a year or two later. I think. Yeah. I don't think he came along. I love that show. But also, they had. There was like Corey Brewer. At one point, he he came back. Okay, Corey Brewer. This is not a Corey Brewer team. <laughs> this is so weird. I'm going to say Luke Ridnauer. Luke Ridnauer. Started at the point that night. You got two. Oh, um, Judd, what about uh, Anthony Tolliver? Yeah, that's very possible. Can't remember if he was starting or not, though. 
He was definitely um, on these teams. And they wouldn't have started a Ridnauer Berea backcourt. That would have been right. I think Berea, I didn't I think Berea usually came off the bench. Yeah. Um would they have started a Roy Ridnauer backcourt? Who was the, Oh, um was Michael Beasley still on these teams? He was on the 10-11 team. Was he still on the team? I don't think so. Who else were they drafting around this time? Love. Dude, this is hard. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is the definition of random season recall. Oh, 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 oh. Number two overall pick. Um, Derek Williams. Not an official guess. Derek Williams. Two more. Great number two, two overall pick. So wait, so so we've got we've got the center, we've got a forward, we've got a gu- we've got one of the guards, we have got a point guard, right? And so we need a shooting guard. Oh, uh, Wes and... Johnson was like a number five overall pick, four or five overall pick, somewhere in there. Yeah, Wes Johnson. Yeah, I guess it. Yeah. All right, we got one more left. <laughs> I mean, Budinger. You said Budinger. Should we die on the hill for Budinger? Budinger might have been the other forward. Let's die on the hill. Budinger. Let's die on the hill. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Budinger came off the bench. 21 minutes. Uh, You missed. Brandon Roy did start this game. Ah! Ah! Job was right. He was healthy. He was healthy for that game. And then maybe the marquee free agent ad for that team that year, AK-47, Andre Karolinko. Oh, that's right, dude. All that, yeah. After all the Roycey and Mackey segments on on his Hall Pass, you couldn't remember him. The Hall Pass, AK. You and Rusty talked about oh. the Hall Pass, and Pat would try and move on as quickly as possible. He hated ah, the Hall Pass. Let's not talk about. I know this. he did. Let's not you talk and, about this. You and Rusty, you and Rusty <laughs> loved the Hall Pass. Uh, it's not funny. <laughs> uh, let's see here. We have seven. Seven players averaged double-digit figures, uh, double-digit points, excuse me, for the Wolves that year. Can you give me five of them? Uh, well, Love. AK-47 had to have. AK-47. Two. Okay. Now it gets complicated. You said Peck, right, Phil? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Peck. Yeah. Derek Williams probably did. He had enough dunks. Yes. Derek Williams. All right. Four. Four. Um, Ridnauer? I will say off all those four players were one, two, three, four. Okay. Okay. Berea off the bench. Ridnauer, Budinger. I think Ridnauer probably. Like, Ridnauer would have played a lot of minutes before. Oh, well, actually, Rubio might have averaged over 10 points. Once he came back? Yeah. When, he came back in December, right? I think so. He probably so averaged he like back- 12 points or something. Okay. Yeah, that's probably true. Ten points. Yeah, Rubio. Got the five. We got the five. Let's do there's, this. There's two All more. Right. Ridnauer. How about Ridnauer? One more. What do you think? Do you think your guy Brandon Roy? What do you have? Does he, he did he not qualify. He does not qualify. Oh. And and he, oh, he and, and he did not okay. score double digit points. So. Okay, but he, I mean, Budinger. Budinger, so. former volleyball player. Yeah, I, I think Budinger. Yeah, he was loved, man. Coach loved him. Let's get it. Should we get him? Oh, we died on the hill again. Damn. 9.4. Oh, come on. Oh, God. Oh, come, come on. on. I'm sorry. On, you're in and out of the red. Um, it doesn't count. 
Um, I mean, I guess Berea could have could have been a spark plug off the bench for ten. Yeah, it's fine. but then they would have had yeah. three guards averaging over ten points a game. All right, Berea. Yes, very good. Yeah. The very, king of getting stuffed good. by the underside of the backboard when he tries his scoop layups. God, five foot five. Well, he loved those scoop layups. He thought he, he was Kobe every time he checked into the game. It's like, all right, boys. Dude, Mark, here Mark we go. Cuban loved that guy <laughs> still did. to this day. Loved well, he that. destroyed the Lakers in that playoff series with Dallas in like 2010 or whatever it was. Was it the Cat? Yeah. Uh, he won a title. Lakers? I thought, it, oh, yeah, it was the Lakers. Yeah. I think it was. He won a title with the Mavericks. Yeah. And they the, the Lakers were in their way through the Western Conference, and then they beat the. The first year of the Miami Heatles mm-hmm. in the NBA Finals. Yeah, who blew a who blew a lead, right? Mm-hmm. They were up two zero, I think, or two one, yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, and, and then blew the lead. Uh, last one here in the 2012 NBA draft before the season started, the Timberwolves didn't have a first round pick because of this trade. Who was the player that cost the Wolves that first round pick? Ooh. This might be a trick question. Because they didn't give up a first-round pick, I don't think, for AK-47. Mm-hmm. Here's my question. Did they... What did they trade for Berea, Phil? Uh, that was a trade, not, right? Not a first-round pick, though. Here's what I was going to say. When they traded in, like, 2005, this is probably too far of a gap. When they traded for Marco Yarich, there was a protected first-round pick involved that took a long time to come to fruition. Would it have taken seven years to come to fruition, though? I don't think so. I don't think – I mean, that's an interesting guess, but I – and I remember it took a long time, but I don't think it took seven years. I don't think it took from – yeah, that seems like a long time. Who – did they give up a first round pick for Darko? No, they or did they just sign him? I thought they just signed him. Yeah. They traded for Berea, I think, but I don't think they tra- yeah, I think they just signed Dar- Yeah, cuz Dar- Darko got signed off the scrap heap. This was a loaded draft, too. Oh, I'm shocked the Wolves screwed it up. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a pick. Um There was another trade in like 2007 or 8 where they they got Mike Miller. They traded with the Wizards, right? Yes. They got, like, Mike Miller and somebody else. And I'm pretty sure there was a first-round pick involved there, too. But, like, first-round picks bounce around so much in the NBA. Right. Yep. Ah, man. I don't have a great answer here. Do you think they traded a first-round pick for Brandon Roy? It's a total I have no... Yeah. This is, like, the David Kahn era right here, isn't it? This is... I don't know. Brandon Roy. I have no recollection of this. Have Bill. we said his name? Yeah. Who was it? Okay. So it's either Mike Miller or... It's either Mike Miller or uh, Marco Yarich. I'm gonna, you know what? Marco Yarich. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. It's, the oh, Sam wow. Cassell, it's the Sam Cassell trade. Seven years? It's the Sam Seven Cassell years? trade. Yeah. The Marco Yarich. <laughs> oh, my trade. God. It took that long to pay out. So what was that? Like a top... What was that pick so, protection then? Um, the Clippers acquired Sam Cassell and a future conditional first-round pick from the Wolves for Marco Yark and Lionel Chal- uh, Chalmers. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. also, that trade got uh, the Clippers' Chris Paul because the Hornets acquired Eric Gordon, Al Camino, Chris Kamen for the, tw- for the Wolves' pick 
which went to the Clippers in exchange for Chris Paul. Okay. So, like, Sam Cassell, Marco, all those players were involved in that one transaction in different timelines, but at the end of the day, all more involved in that one transaction. Yeah. Which is pretty remarkable. Congratulations, Declan. That was as random season recall as you can wow, possibly Wow, that was get. amazing. That, was perfect. that is a yeah. random Timberwolves season right there. Nice oh. job. I think a little stalemate there. I think Dex Dex got the best best punches off a couple times, yeah. and then we punch back. It's pretty. We good. will never talk about that year again. No, no. That wolf season will will die on the vine with this <laughs> show right now. All right, dudes, write that down. Predictions tomorrow. When are you guys going to admit that you were wrong tomorrow on Mackie and Judd and Purple Daily? Also, a Thursday night vent line this week. Oh yeah, Vikings Steelers on Thursday night. Um, what's going to happen there? I think they're going to win. But we're here for you on Thursday night on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. So check us out. We'll see you guys tomorrow. I'm Mackie and Judd.